God, thank you. Thank you that we can be here together, that where two or three of us are gathered, that you are right here in the midst of us. Lord, we ask that you would reveal yourself, your beauty, a little bit more fully to our hearts in a way that we're able to share it more completely, uh, that we're able to reflect that goodness to the world around us. Thank you, Father. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. I want you to imagine for a second that you just won an election. Right, so there's a city of, of two million people, and you were running for mayor of that city, and you just won the election. But here's the trick. This city has, has no way of providing food for itself. This city has uh, no way of providing water for itself. And, and this city is actually uh, in the midst of a migration because every single person in the, this city has come out of slavery and is now trusting and looking to you to guide them to the promised land. Can you imagine the weight that was on Moses' back as he those hundreds of thousands, probably about two million people there in the wilderness. And, and he had seen some incredible things. He had seen that God would show up in amazing and miraculous ways. He'd seen God send the ten plagues in order to get Pharaoh to finally send them out. And then he had seen when the, the Egyptian army was coming after them that God told them to raise his staff and the, the Red Sea had parted and allowed them to walk through on dry land. And then that, the, that God had allowed it to close on the Egyptian army that was pursuing them. He'd watch as the Amalekites were defeated. He'd watch as they, the people got hungry and were grumbling and God provided food from heaven, bread. God provided water coming out of a rock. And then he had seen God reveal his, his, his visible manifestation in a way, this fiery presence on Mount Sinai. And he had gone up and he'd received the Ten Commandments. And then he'd come down to a people who had, as Psalm 106 verse 20 says, they had exchanged their glory for the image of an ox. They'd taken their God and said, ah, we'll we'll worship this ox. This is the one that brought us out. And he had dashed those Ten Commandments. Imagine, as you are trying to to figure out how to lead these people. You already have been given the uh, plan for the sanctuary. You have already had all of this communication with God. What would you ask for from God in order to help you lead His people into the promised land? I can think of a long list of things. I think I'd be asking for wisdom. I'd be asking for God to put a lot of helpers around me. I think I'd be asking for, for God to give me the strength, that He would give the resources, that He would... The list would go on and on and on of what I would be asking of God. But here's what Moses asked for. Open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 33. He has has asked that God would go with him. And as God promises his presence will go with them and give them rest, in Exodus chapter 33, Moses says he's, he's wanting to know how to lead the people. Of all the things that he could ask for, this is what he asks. In verse 18, And he said, please, show me your glory. Uh, What I I need more than anything else, God, is that you would show me your glory. I need to see your glory. Well, hadn't he already seen that? Hadn't he seen the Red Sea part? Hadn't he seen the fiery manifestation on top? Hadn't he seen the the, the fiery cloud and the, the, the pillar of cloud by day? Hadn't he seen the manna? 
and the water from the rock. And yet he wanted to see God's glory revealed. And so God doesn't show up with some brighter, fiery manifestation. God doesn't shake the earth. God doesn't, what does God do? Verse 19, he says, And then he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. Isn't that a beautiful thing? He says, I'm going to show you my glory. I'm going to make all my goodness pass before you. My compassion, my mercy. I'm going to make all this come before you. And then if you look down, when he, when he shows up to Moses, he hides him in the cleft of the rock. He says, you can't see all of my goodness. You can, you can see most of it, but you can't see my face. There's so much goodness that it's beyond, and I want you to have something more to have in the future. And then if you go down to verse 6, and the Lord passed before him of chapter 34 and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness, that's the word kesed, meaning faithful covenant-keeping love, and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. Do you see what God does when he wants to reveal his glory? When he's asked to reveal his glory to Moses, what does he reveal to him? His mercy, his love, his compassion, his goodness. You know, when we think about glory, we think about people's accomplishments. We think about athletes and what they're able to accomplish. We might think about uh, somebody who's really wealthy. We might think about somebody that has amassed a, a massive amount of knowledge or a scientist who's been extremely successful, an astronaut. I think about when I was in high school. When I wanted glory, and when I thought about glory, I thought about my senior year. There was on the wall of the gym, I saw it every single practice. It was a small academy, so I played three different sports. Every single practice, you look up on the wall, and there was that list of the athlete of the year. And I thought, you know, now that is glorious. I want my name to be up there so that future generations at Fresno Avenue Academy will look up and say, who is Zach Page? What type of athlete was he? Wow, his name is there on that banner. And I thought that would be glorious. And so I played sports really hard. I did my absolute best. I threw my whole life into sports, going to practices early, spending all of that time working out. And I'll tell you what, by the end of my senior year, I had been captain on all three teams, uh, all, in all three different sports. I got MVP trophies for, I don't remember if it was two or three out of those sports, most valuable player. And at the sports award banquet, they're giving out these awards and they're coming down to the last one. And I just know, I mean, I'm the most valuable player, obviously. I'm the captain. I am the most important person here. So obviously, the glory that goes on the wall is going to come to Zach Page, right? And so they, they have this little committee that they send into a back room. And as this committee is back there, I just have to imagine some of the things that they're talking about. And I don't think that they were talking about the touchdowns that I had scored. I don't think they were talking about the baskets that I had made or the spikes that I had, been, I had made. I think that they were talking about that time when our arch nemesis team had come 
And I had gotten into it with one of the players so much so that they came into the locker room and we got in a brawl in the locker room. I think that they might have been talking about, you remember that Zach was cheating on some of his exams this, this year and, and ended up getting suspended for a few days. I think that they probably were talking about some of these things because when they came out, that glorious moment was given to my, one of my best friends. And his name, I've gone there. It's on that banner. Daniel Jacobson. I'm still really good friends with him. But I don't know why my name wasn't there. Or actually I do. I'm thankful that that committee recognized the fact that the truest glory doesn't come from what you accomplish in your life. But glory is a representation of character. You see, that's what the Bible is showing to us. You know, God had revealed himself with awesome, majestic acts. God had, had revealed himself by doing all of these things, but that's not what made God most beautiful and powerful. That wasn't his glory. What was really his glory was his character, who he was in heart. So look at Revelation chapter 14. We've been going through Revelation chapter 14, the three angels' messages. And, you know, sometimes when you look at a Bible verse, you're like, how many days could we be talking about one particular Bible verse? How many weeks could we talk about one Bible verse? Well, Revelation 14, we looked at verse 6, an angel flying in the midst of heaven, having an everlasting gospel, the everlasting good news to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, we saw the last week, that's like a megaphone, and he's coming to calm the fears with good news, and he says, fear God! And we saw that that really means to be awestruck with wonder. It is forgiving, never-ending love for us, and to allow him to lead us to that same kind of love. But then he goes on to say, and give glory to him. Give glory to him. Now we're just going to look at this one little phrase, give glory to him. So let, let's try to memorize this together, right? So fear God and give glory to him. Can you do that? Fear God and give glory to him. I encourage you, we're going to be diving into these messages together. So just get familiar with these verses. Fear God and give glory to him. So if glory represents God's character... How can I give God character? I, I can't add to his mercy. I can't add to his justice. I can't add to his love. But I can come to recognize it. The word in Greek, doxa, is representative basically of a good opinion about something. Glory representing this, this good opinion, this good favor, this, this good understanding of something. What I can do is I can begin to help myself, and then thereby others to see who God really is in character. What is God's character really like? This is what we're called to do in the times that we're living in, to share what the character of God is all about. So, so go with me back a long ways, back before anything was ever created. In John chapter 17, Jesus, talking about God's glory, he talks about it multiple times in this high priestly prayer in John chapter 17. In verse 24, he describes God's glory like this. He says, Father, this is John 17 verse 24, Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which you have given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. Ah, oh, do you get that? He says, I want 
for people to be able to see the glory that you and I have shared from throughout eternity. I want for them to be able to grasp it. For you have loved me from before the foundation of the world. So, so we got to go back to pre-creation. And we got to picture Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And, and the love relationship that they had, they shared with each other throughout eternity. And that's kind of hard to picture. But this past week, something happened. I don't remember exactly how the conversation went, but I have this amazing wife who's always building me up with my daughters, and she's like, oh, we just love and adore Daddy. We're crazy about Daddy, aren't we? And I was like, no, we are all crazy about Mommy. We adore Mommy. And then, then I thought about it for a second. I said, and, and besides that, Abby, Daddy, Mommy, we're all crazy about Olivia, aren't we? And, and Olivia, Daddy, Mommy, we are all crazy about Abby, aren't we? we? We are crazy about each other. We adore each other. We love each other. And later Leah said to me, you know, I think that's just a little tiny glimmer of what the Trinity is like. There's this adoring love for each other that just grows and grows and grows and throughout eternity this is what you have pictured of father son and holy spirit and selfless other-centered relational faithfulness towards each other but that wasn't enough for god he said this glory that i have this is what my glory is my love god is love that's god's glory but this glory i just don't want to keep it to myself and so in isaiah 43 and verse 7 it describes it like this it says Everyone who is called by my name, whom I have created. You want to know why God created? Those whom I have created for my glory. I have formed him. Yes, I have made him. So you have pre-creation. God, you have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in the glory of that other-centered relationship. And they said, this is so good. We're going to make a creation that's beautiful, that's glorious, that shares that other-centered, selfless love. And so they, they created Adam and Eve, and they made this beautiful world for them to inhabit. And the picture was to be one where God's image was continued of love that would perpetuate on the planet. But unfortunately, as we look around today, we can tell that something happened. And what exactly happened? Sin came into the picture. And what is sin? What does Romans chapter 3 and verse 23 say? It says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And see, when when sin came into the picture, when when Satan came there and he he came to the in the, the the snake to Eve and to Adam, what was it that he was trying to do? He was telling them lies. He was telling them, well. God doesn't really have your best interests in mind. Did, did God really say that to you? And you know that, that God is just keeping something back from you because if you eat from this fruit, you're actually going to get to a higher level. And so he began to put this veil over what God's character was really like. He began to, to blind us from the, the God of love, the God of mercy, the God of other-centered, unselfish love. And he began to to veil our eyes from being able to see that. And that really is what sin is. We all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. 
But thankfully, that's not where the picture ends. But first, I wanted to read from Signs of the Times, October 17, 1892. It says this, Satan is seeking to veil Jesus from our sight, to eclipse his light. For when we get even a glimpse of his glory, we are attracted to him. Sin hides from our view the matchless charms of Jesus. Prejudice, selfishness, self-righteousness, and passion blind our eyes so that we do not discern the Savior. Oh, if we would by faith draw near to God, He would reveal to us His glory, which is His character. And the praise of God would flow forth from human lips and be sounded by human voices. If only we would draw near to God, we would see his glory, which is his character. That veil would be removed, what Satan is trying to do. In Revelation chapter 12, it says he's the one who deceives the whole world. We're in the midst of a great controversy, and it's, it's a controversy that is based on deception and trying to get us not to understand what God is, who God is in character. But the amazing thing is, Proverbs chapter 19 and verse 11 says, the destruction The discretion of man makes him slow to anger, and his glory is to overlook a transgression. The Bible says that that for you and I, it's a glorious thing for you to see somebody wronging you and to overlook that transgression. To forgive is a glorious thing. And we have a glorious God who last week we learned there is forgiveness with him in order that he may be feared. It's something that draws us to him. And it is part of his glory, the fact that God, from the very beginning, has planned for forgiveness. And so, we see a little foreshadowing of this angel that is flying through the midst of heaven that represents us as messengers, sharing with the world to fear God and give him glory in Luke chapter 2. If you go to Luke chapter 2, we pick up the story of a baby that's born. A baby that's born in a stable. And you know, leading up to this is a whole history through what we call the Old Testament of of God showing up and revealing His character and working in people's lives. And again and again, His glory is revealed. But in Luke chapter 2, an angel shows up and says, hey, I have incredibly good news for you. Now notice, it's good news, not... Okay, we're going to have to keep working on this one. It's good news, not good advice. Okay, the gospel is good news. It's to tell you what Jesus has already done for you, not to tell you what you need to do. So he says, I bring good, good news, great tidings of, good joy, of great joy that a Savior is born for you. And he's going to be wrapped in swatting cloths, lying in a manger. And, and when the angels hear this, now just think about this for a minute. These angels have, have gotten to worship God in the fullness of His glory in heaven. They've gotten to see all the beautiful glories of heaven and what God is like in His unveiled, I, I assume, glory. They've gotten to worship Him for, I don't know how long, long before even the creation maybe of this planet. And in that moment, as they hear that the son has been born as a baby, lying in a stable, wrapped in swaddling clothes. Suddenly, they burst out in singing in Luke chapter 2 and verse 
13. It says, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. (laughs) Glory to God in the highest. Now God's glory has been revealed in the highest possible way. Because here, God has stepped lower. You see, God's character is revealed not by pulling Himself higher, by by showing Himself to be bigger, but by saying, I will step lower and I will serve to the lowest level. And that's what you and I are designed for. You know, we were created for His glory. It reminds me of a guy named Richard Williams. Have you ever heard of Richard Williams? He's probably not that famous to you. But Richard Williams one day was watching TV. And he lived, I think at the time in Compton. I'm not sure. Eventually he lived in Compton. Uh, <clears throat> he not had the most privileged life. And as he watched this tennis match on TV, he wasn't struck so much by the amazing sport of tennis as he was by the $30,000 check that was given to the winner at the end of the tennis game. He said, wow, now that could change my life. And so what he did was he, he had married a lady who had three kids, and so he went to some of his stepkids, and he began to try to train them to play tennis. And then he realized, I think I started too late, and so he began to talk with his wife about having kids, and she said, no, I'm done with having kids. She said, no, you're going to have more kids. And he began to work very uh, carefully on making sure that they had kids, and we won't go into the details. But in the end, he had a daughter named Serena and a daughter named Venus. Maybe you've heard of them. Two sisters who he began to coach them at tennis at the ages of three and four. He began with this dream for them. They were created for glory. They were created to earn that $30,000 check. And if you go and look combined, I think they've won like 30 Grand Slam singles uh, titles. They've won uh, 14 doubles uh, titles. They've won like three gold medals. Hundreds of millions of dollars they're worth. He said, I created you for my glory. And and when God says that, He's not meaning so that you could earn Him money, so that you can prop Him up higher like maybe some assume that Richard Williams was trying to do. But what was He really doing? He created you so that you could participate in the selfless love that He exists for. In building others up, in loving and serving, in relational integrity to the very end. You look in John chapter 1 and verse 14, it talks a little bit more about the incarnation of Jesus when he was born as a baby. John chapter 1 and verse 14 says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. When this baby came, when this human being came, suddenly we saw God in all of His glory in the most beautiful possible way. We said that is the character of God. And it's beautiful. And then verse 16 says, And of His fullness we have all received and grace 
for grace. Hebrews chapter 1 goes on to say that Jesus is the brightness of God's glory. He's, he's the shining out of God's glory. That, that finally manifested to human beings as never before when this man walked as the Son of Man and the Son of God on this planet. That finally we could recognize who God is in character. And it was incredibly beautiful. Again and again, in God, John's gospel, after he works the miracle of changing the water into wine, after he helps in, in different miracles like that, it'll say, and in this way he manifested his glory. He served, he loved, he gave, and he didn't stop until the very end. In John chapter 12, in verse 23, he reveals that, that there's something greater than just the incarnation to reveal God's glory. John chapter 12 and verse 23, Jesus says, And now? But Jesus answered them saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. And this he was speaking about the cross as you continue to, reveal, to, to read. He was speaking about going all the way to the cross. And Paul picks up the train of thought in Philippians chapter 2. Go with me to Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 5. And gives us the picture of what the glory of God is all about. It says, let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, being equal with God, having everything God uh, had, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. Now, doesn't that sound like the opposite of getting glory, of being glorified? He made himself of no reputation taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God has also highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, that, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So it's because of what he did on the cross and laying down his life of saying, no, I want for you to exist. I lay down my life for you. This is who I am at heart. At the cross of Jesus Christ was revealed the character of God as has never been revealed before in the history of the universe. And that's why Paul could say in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 14, God forbid that I should glory except in the cross of Jesus Christ by whom the world is crucified to me and I to the world. When I look to the cross, suddenly everything else pales in comparison, Jesus says. I look to the cross and I am transformed from this selfish, self-seeking person into a person that loves like Jesus loves. And that's the picture that Paul portrays in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. If you go there with me, 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18. It gives us the picture of how we begin to be able to give glory to God. Starting in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18, it says, But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed. So, so as we behold the glory of the Lord, as we fix it, our mind on, on who he is, his love, his mercy, his compassion, 
as we fix our eyes on his love. We are transformed, it says, from glory to glory, step by step, a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more like him. By beholding, we're transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. And then it goes on down. And I'm going to read this from a a different version of the Bible, the New Living Translation, just because of how beautifully it portrays it. Uh, It says it this way. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 4 to 7, it says, Satan, who is the God of the world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. So you remember, he came and he, he hid what the character of God was like. He, he put a veil there. He, he deceived Adam and Eve, and he's been doing that same thing ever since. They are unable to see the glorious lights of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. You see, we don't go around preaching about ourselves. We preach that Jesus Christ is Lord, and we ourselves are your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let there be light in the darkness, has made this light shine in our hearts so that we could know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. We now have this light shining in our hearts But we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God and not from ourselves. You see, Jesus went to the lengths that he did in going to the cross, not just so that we could look and wonder, but so that we too could give glory to God by allowing him to shine light out of our hearts. That's why in Matthew chapter 5, in verse 16, he says, Let your light so shine that men may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Let your light... Sure, thank you. Thank you, Gunner. I need a little water. Let your light so shine that men may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. We're called to live lives just like Jesus. Not in our strength, but in his strength. As we fix our eyes on his glory, that we begin to reflect his glory. And does the world need to see who Jesus is? You see, the world doesn't need to be forced to come to church. The world doesn't need us to shout more loudly about who Jesus is. The world needs for us to help them to see his glory. What his character is really like. And that's different for different people that atheist in your life who might be like Brad Pitt. Remember Brad Pitt who said, look, I think that this idea of a God who demands you to, to praise him, to build himself up, I just can't, can't wrap my mind around this. He needs you to come to him and say, look, do you know that God is the opposite of that? He's the one who humbled himself, who made himself of no reputation, and, and this is actually the exact opposite. I don't believe in that God that you're talking about either. Or maybe there are people that have been disenchanted by the way that Christianity has has portrayed God and they need to see a true picture of who God is. This world needs for us to give glory to God. Helping the world to see who God really is in heart. To let our light so shine. And sometimes the best way for that is to do it through our good works. Now are these good works that we come up with? Thankfully not. 
Ephesians chapter 2 says it this way, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. It's good news, not good advice. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. And that word boast, some, some versions will translate it glory, lest anybody should glory in themselves. When we get there in heaven, nobody's going to be like, yes, I am here because of me. But when we get there, everyone will be saying, he is worthy. He has paid it all. He is worthy. And then it goes on to say, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God already has a plan for you. He already has a purpose for your life. He already has things that he wants for you to accomplish for his glory. I love how excited Paul gets uh, thinking about what God is able to accomplish for him. And really, I think that this gives glory to God when you have this type of attitude. You know, sometimes we look at our lives and we think, but yeah, what about this in my life? Or what about that in my life? Or what about... And we begin to focus on ourselves. But Paul said this in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 18. 2 Timothy 4, 18. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. We need that kind of confidence in who God is. Yeah, God's going to deliver me from every evil deed. He's going to take me to the heavenly kingdom. He already gave himself on the cross. What else will he not withhold from me? And though I don't see the full picture yet, I'm going to trust him that he will take me the distance that he will complete the good work in me you know sometimes i shout this loudly because i need to hear it more clearly you know i can preach about that the everlasting gospel is good news not good advice i can tell you about how we need to fear god and be in awe of him and his forgiving love I can tell you that to give glory is something based on who he is and not who we are. But then I can go through my week and I begin to doubt that God is working in my life. This past week, I was super excited. Uh, Mark, God has been doing awesome stuff and he said I could share the story with you. God's been doing some awesome stuff in his life this week. And on Wednesday, he came up to our, our small group Bible study out in front of, of the church and and I was excited because he was going to come up and get his car, and his car had all this stuff that was loaded with clothes and stuff that he needed down where he's staying in San Luis Obispo. And it also had, in, in, in one of the duffel bags, it had all these books from the, the Nedley Depression Recovery Program that he was excited about going through. He had, had um, his, his blue light goggles in there that are help, help you get circadian rhythms and, and all these different things in there that were really valuable and helpful for Mark. All of Really, I think in his car, it's pretty much most all of his earthly possessions. So at the end of the Bible study, he's like, yeah, okay, Mark, here's your keys. He runs over to his car. He's like, so wasn't there a, a big blue duffel bag right in the front seat of my car? I said, yeah, 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 it's right here. Uh, and there was a red one on top of that. Where'd they go? He said, ah, uh, looking around my car, I, I think somebody broke into my car. So how could that how could that be? I made sure every door was oh maybe they got in through the window. 
And we looked through his car. <laughs> there was so much stuff gone, so much of his clothes. He, he basically looked like almost had none of his clothes left. I thought to myself, man, here I am. I'm trying my hardest, God. What in the world are you doing? I didn't say this to Mark. I told Mark, hey, God works all things together for good. But in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, man, I failed again. Why did I park the car there? Why didn't I roll the window up? Why, 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 why? My mistakes, my failures are keeping God from being glorified in Mark's life. And Leah will tell you that it's so, it's so dumb. <laughs> On Thursday, she was like, where are you? You're like in a dumpster or something. I, I don't know why it hit me like it did. Mark handled it way better than I did. <laughs> but I just was thinking about me. I was thinking about that I am not helping people the way that I want to help them, that I want to do bigger things in this world, that I want to make a bigger difference, and what is wrong with me? And that's the whole problem. We're so focused on me. To give glory to God is to shine the light on Him. To focus on who He is. To be constantly thinking about what He has done. The good news, not the good advice. To know who He is. And by beholding that, we will be changed. In fact, I had my my head so stuck in myself that that day, a pastor had called me early in the morning and like five o'clock in the morning and said, God is doing all these amazing things and it's because last week you shared this and this with me and my wife and I since then have been praying together and man, this is changing everything. Things are happening in my church and all these. It's like, yeah, that's great, man. Let's pray together. We prayed together. Went on about feeling sorry for myself. Later in the day, Leah and I are walking into the park with the girls and we walk past this lady who's closing her store and I had been praying like, God, you gotta, you gotta encourage me. You gotta help me out here. And, and here's this lady, like, fumbling with the door, and she looks over, she's like, can you help me? It's like, sure, I'll help you. I run over there, and she's like, I can't get, get, get the door locked. I don't know, I do this every single day. So I'm fiddling with it, got that door locked. She's like, well, wow, how'd you do that? Could you do this one over here? I'm no special locksmith or anything. I go over, fiddle with that one a little bit, that door locked. I'm like, okay. We start walking down the street, and Leah's like, do you see what God just did for you? Like, no, I'm busy feeling sorry for myself. Don't bother. God just gave you this chance to help this woman. Are you coming out of this dumpster yet? This dumpster of self? So on Thursday, uh, Mark emailed and said, you know what? I think we need to file a police report about the things that were stolen out of my vehicle. And I was like, Mark, on Wednesday, I didn't say this to him either. (laughs) Now he's going to wonder what's going on in my mind, right? (laughs) I, I was thinking, Mark, we, we said we could do this on Wednesday. And you, you didn't feel like it then. Why didn't we file a police report on Wednesday? Friday is the day when I'm trying to prepare for a sermon. And I don't have... Okay, Mark, let's get together. Let's, let's work on this. We talked on the phone. Actually, he was very gracious. He's like, oh, no, 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 it's Friday. Don't, don't worry about it. Don't do it. I said, no, 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 let's just do it. Let's. So I called the sheriff about 9.45. And they said it'll probably take us 45 minutes to get there. But before long, I'm getting called by the sheriff. I'm here in the parking lot. Let's just do this over the phone. I said, no, 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 we got to get there. Mark's almost there with his car. Mark pulls into the parking lot. I pull into the parking lot and the sheriff begins to, to file his report. And he's writing down the things that are, are missing as Mark goes through his list. And Mark gives him his identification. And as he's looking at his identification, 
He's looking at this list of things that Mark says are missing. And I'm just thinking, what's the point? What's the point? How many times we've had stuff stolen from, from the trailer up here. We filed police reports about it. I filed police reports many times in my life. I have never seen the stuff that was stolen from me returned to me. I don't know about you. But as he's going down this list, he says, well, I know where your stuff is. Mark and I were like, what? I know where your stuff is. I made this stop yesterday of a, a stolen vehicle, and that stolen vehicle was full of this stuff. And, and to make a long story short, we ended up going over to Morro Bay to pick up Mark's stuff, and, and the officer is like, you know, it's pretty amazing. Why, why didn't you, earlier he had said, why didn't you file the report on Wednesday? And, and why did you, if you hadn't have called when you called, and it wasn't me, it was the CHP that took the car, and the CHP has been dealing with all the stolen stuff, but because I was the one who made the stop, and you called at just the time when I could come, I knew where your stuff was, and I made the connections. <laughs> Do you trust your God? Give Him glory, for He is good. Mark went through that stuff and he said probably like 80% of his stuff at least was there. And we're, we're packing it up. I remember, what does it mean to give glory to God? You know, there's a story where Jesus heals 10 lepers. And those 10 lepers, they're on their way to, to, to show themselves to the priests and all 10 of them are healed and only one comes back. And Jesus says, is there only one who's going to give glory to God? Well, I pulled up the car and we put all the stuff there in the parking lot and, and I'm going to load the stuff in the car and Mark's hobbling. You've noticed he's got a hurt foot. He's hobbling over to this guy who's working on it. I'm like, what's Mark doing? And he goes over to this guy. And he's like, hey, can I tell you something? God just showed me how real he is. Listen to this story. And he begins to tell him about how God had arranged for the sheriff at just the right time and had connected the dots. That otherwise, we might never have seen his stuff again. But God cares about Mark. God numbers the hairs on your head like we talked about last week. And God cares about the people that you're trying to help. We only trust him that he has prepared good works beforehand for you to walk in them. It's not for you to do it. It's for you to walk in them. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 30 and 31 says, Of him you are in Christ Jesus, who has become to you wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. So that as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. Friends, what it means to give glory to God is to point to God as everything. Your righteousness, your sanctification, your redemption, your wisdom. Jesus is everything you need. Just fix your eyes on Him. That's what it means to whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. When you're eating, when you're drinking, do all to the glory of God. All of these things are only there to help you to get to know Jesus, to get to love Jesus, to get to see Jesus, and thereby to live lives that reflect his glory. But Jesus is absolutely everything. And the only way that our message as a church, the only way that my message as an individual will truly give glory to God is if I say that Jesus is absolutely everything. And I point people to Jesus and Jesus only. So I want you to think about that 
amazing reality that Jesus wants to be your everything, your wisdom, your righteousness, your sanctification, your redemption. As we listen to this song, in Christ alone is where it starts, but it's a, it's a medley focusing on Jesus as being absolutely everything to you.